I haven't given lawyer excuses yet, but I am waiting for the day where someone's like, no, it wasn't released. What's wrong with you? And I'm like, a man went to prison. (laughs) (laughs) I was in trial. Respect me. So did you really, how does, were you like taking a class on like how to be a better trial lawyer that was run by actors? Is that true? That is mostly true. Uh, And before we begin, I will, I will explain but hey, because we're not talking about the television show The Big Bang Theory, you must be listening to the television show or the podcast about the television show The Big Bang Theory Theory. Hi, I'm Nick. I'm Kyle. And with us today is our friend who all you need to know about them is they insisted on being introduced as mercurial icon Charlie McCorn, returning guest, probably oh. a fan favorite. Yep, three Pete. Hat trick, that- baby. Yeah, that's a that's a bit of a uh, a backhanded way to introduce him the way he wanted to be introduced the way they wanted to be introduced. But uh, well, no, done. it's fair. I I get you know what I ask for things and I get in return whatever people want to give me. I'm very. I gave very you exactly what you asked for. You said introduce me as mercurial icon. You did not say do not address that I requested you address me as mercurial okay. icon. Oh no, I think that actually helps confirm my status as a mercurial icon. <laughs> ah, I request these things of people. So everything Hello, is everyone. Everything is fantastic. It's oh, but right, Kyle, you you were asking about trial school which has nothing to do with the show and so i'll I'll get in and out but yes it was a it was a five day all day training to focus on trial skills and for the first two days it was run we we we, so uh, take a half a step back the the technique that was emphasized for use in the training was psychodrama a term which no one either could or bothered to explain or define in any way. Wait, what about psychodrama? They, that was like the theme? That was the tool. It was, let us use what we call psychodrama. That they didn't explain, they didn't, they didn't define. Correct. Did they ask you to take a personality test? So, funny you should ask, because after day two, and with zero discussion of law, <laughs> I was like... <laughs> I'm in a cult. This is how it happens. Like, this is... Everyone is saying there's a system that works. We can't tell you exactly what the system is. If it doesn't work for you, it's your fault. And you need to better work the system. (laughs) And I could explain the rest, but that's really all that matters is, yes, for five days uh, of training, the first two of them, after the second day, I was like, "I'm. this is obviously a cult. I'm still not... 100% 100% convinced that's not the case. But by day three, someone was like, yeah, I guess we should do cross-examination or some bullshit. I don't know. But that's not what we're here to talk about. What we are here to talk about is the television series, The Big Bang Theory, which we have chosen to examine because the world uh, apparently loves it, and yet most nerdy types seem to hate it. And we are exploring, more or less, the reasons for that hatred through through our own nerdy perspectives. But honestly, mostly we just bullshit. So, usually at the very end is where I request plugs, but it feels weird. Charlie, you are a returned guest, but I feel like I, I nonetheless must point out that you two are a comedian, pod, podcaster, local 
uh, icon, I believe you also <laughs> insisted on describing yourself as. I'm several kinds of icon. It's, it, it's hard. It's, it's difficult living this way, but someone has to do it, honestly. And so your your longer term project right now is the Tommy Knockin podcast, which is exploring the works of Stephen King, That's and right. you also do the Social Justice Weirdos podcast. Any other uh, credentials that should be inserted before we actually get this started? That's that's basically where I'm at. Uh, I I feel that's a pretty good uh, like loose understanding of, of who I am as, as a creative. Good enough for me. Let's move on to the episode. Today, we are watching Season 4, Episode 22, officially titled The Wildebeest Implementation. And to, to get right to it, it's a ladies' episode! I think something that has been a semi-frequent criticism of the show from Kyle and I's perspective is that so much of it focuses on the main dude nerds, um, and that the main dude nerds haven't had as interesting of characters as the ladies who sometimes are absent for multiple episodes in a row. Um, but this time, uh, fortunately it is focused on them and to actually get into the meat of it. Uh, it starts with Sheldon trying to invent three player chess. Leonard is like, all right, well that's some bullshit I may have been interested in before I was fucking, but now I am. And so I'm going to go meet with Priya, uh, the, his, his girlfriend, uh, Sheldon is a little annoyed by this, but at the same time accepts that this is now the status quo. And so that kicks it off. But the more important plot instigator is that, um, I believe it was Amy, uh, is with, oh, actually, sorry. I said there was like a two part cold. The actual code open was the ladies are in the bathroom, just chit chatting together. We have Amy, we have, um, Bernadette and Penny, and there is some gossip about a couple's date between um, Leonard and Priya and Wallowitz and Bernadette. And so Amy and Penny together kind of recruit Bernadette to both be a spy to get more information about Priya while everyone still pretends that Priya is not in any way um, an antagonist um, and to also influence the conversation to let everyone know why Leonard should be jealous or regretful that he is no longer with Penny. And so most of the episode focuses on, on the one half, the dinner party between the two couples, and then on the other half, Sheldon trying to make three-person chess, and Raj being uncoupled, not finding solace from, from Sheldon. And so uh, Sheldon instead takes him on a journey into the wild to approach women, um, after learning that Raj has been assigned apparently pretty serious anxiety medicine for his social anxiety. And so uh, he takes a bunch of that. They do go out. They do meet a woman at a coffee shop. Raj gets totally nude because he's so comfortable in public all of a sudden. And that is most of the episode. The tidbits that I may have skimmed over mostly involve quips between the couples, but... I think those are all the major plot points. I am going to say this isn't a criticism at all. It is much, much more a personal problem I have, which is when Amy is trying... Okay, so first a problem and then an observation. The problem first, Amy is trying to get Bernadette to be this spy. And she maybe jokingly suggests that Bernadette hide 
a mic on her to pick up conversation and uh, suggests that she hide it in her ample bosom. And I can't deal with conversation about Bernadette's ample bosom. Bernadette is not only my favorite character as far as personality goes, but she's also adorable. I haven't been trying to think about dem titties, but now they're being brought to the forefront. Uh, I guess it's cool that they could hold a microphone, but that that shook me up from the beginning. But then the observation is also um, about Amy. The reason that she's trying to get Bernadette to do this in the first place is that she suspects that the uh, oh, there's also mentioned that Priya is planning to take Leonard back to uh, her her home of India to meet her parents, and Amy sees this as oh my god, this is the build up towards some sort of engagement, or at the very least, the next serious part of their relationship, and we need to intervene because I can tell you that in in humans, in this very detached way of looking at things. These are the steps that uh, couples take towards courting and commitment and childbearing or whatever. And there's all the social signs. And I think it's interesting that Amy, it's in spite of being introduced as the female Sheldon counterpart, not only is like really grown as a fun character, but also she seems to be the only person in the whole show who actually seems to understand and recognize normal social conventions, but who nonetheless refuses to participate. (laughs) And so go ahead. I was just going to say, as having only seen the two episodes previously of the show, the episode that I was on, and I think uh, this character shows up at the tail end of the second one that I did. I love this character. I, I loved everything about this. I thought I was, I was totally on board with her whole thing. I, I, was just like so refreshed because I was dreading watching this episode. And then I started, and there's you know fun ladies in the bathroom talk, uh, delightful, and I, I really I really enjoyed all of that. Kyle, thank did you, you for being on a show that you were dread, or thank you for I understand that feeling of dread intimately. I know it takes a while to uh, to get over it, so I'm glad that you had that experience. Yeah, I really felt like I, I was part of a team. I really I really <laughs> felt like I was I was really I was really doing my part. You know. Well, this makes me think, like, so, first of all, audience, thank you for listening. Second, give us positive <laughs> iTunes reviews if you can, because I'll tell you right now, we're not doing great. We, <laughs> we are floating right around the middle ground of a three out of five stars, but the people who are leaving negative reviews pretty consistently are like, you don't understand the show, you don't think it's funny, you take yourselves too seriously, blah, 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 blah. And so any attempts to counteract that would be great. But at the same time, it is strange that we did agree to do a show that we did not want to do. <laughs> that we're like, we owe it to the world, almost as amateur social scientists, to explore a thing that we have no real interest in and are pretty sure we're not going to enjoy. <laughs> And then after watching it, to find out that we are vindicated and to nonetheless continue. From from my perspective and my end, you know, doing the Stephen King, like the bad Stephen King books one chapter at a time. Like, I really relate to just like really dreading this thing that you created. Like really hating to have to do a thing that you know you're not going to enjoy just week in and week out. 
And then sometimes you're like pleasantly delighted. Right. Well, and it's hard because like people are like, what, what do you watch the show if you don't like it? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> All right. Like, I just feel like I have to. Why are you listening to it? Like, would you only, okay, okay, you hypothetical listener who likes the show wanted to find other media about the show. You are only expecting to find other people who would support your already decided enjoyment of the show like i just like i love big bang theory i what you know what everyone loves big big theory but the thing that i feel like i'm really missing in my life is people i don't know yet who also like big bang theory (laughs) and so it's anyway now now i uh i feel like i'm attacking the audience they deserve it have you seen the reviews yeah no it's fine they're shitheads all right like i i was just you know the way I my, my tone, I realize uh, the assumption would be that I was about to be contrite. But no, our audience are scum, accidental or not. I mean, thank you for listening, I guess. We're going to do it regardless of whether you're here, though. So, like, this is just our mission. Thank you for being on the ride. But anyway, that's... And one of you, what, what are your feelings about this episode or about any particular part of this episode? Uh, I learned a lot about myself watching it, I think. Okay, explain. Okay, one. I realize that I have a lot of board game opinions. Oh yeah. I, do we do we I, want to talk about that? About the the three person chess? Not even I, three person chess. Like multiple. I have multiple. Like, and I don't want to be like come off as a big board game person. I I hope you don't. I don't want anyone to come off that way. Like, okay, I have played my fair share of board games and 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 very like niche board games. I hate learning rules. You need to have one person with at least some degree in science or whatever to teach the rules to anyone else. But I've always, in theory, liked board games, but I've never been able to like sit around and actually like play them with any regularity. You know, to, to the level yeah. I thought that maybe I would in my life. I, I have two thoughts on that. One, I think playing any board game with regularity is nigh impossible because I think the assumption when you're going into most board games is, haha. This will be a fun thing to do for 45 minutes. I will sit at a table with my friends and we will make small talk as we move tokens along a flat surface. But as all of us well know, that is not how board games work. (laughs) Every board game that is worth playing has detailed and intricate rules. And if anything, I think board games need to be introduced as a commitment to an adventure. Like, when you're playing Dungeons & Dragons, the expectation is we're, we're going on a campaign. Who knows how long it'll take? We're, we're going to ride it out. I think that's how board games should be introduced. Anything short of that, and I think the term board game enthusiast should be replaced with begrudging polyamory enthusiast. <laughs> because that is the crossover to me, is... A lot of people are like, yeah, sure, I could play a board game. I like uncomfortable intimacy with strangers. <laughs> and and I like not only there to be rules in the first place, but also I like that there are a whole lot of rules that I'm not going to announce right at the start that <laughs> that you'll learn along the way. Yes, that's uh yeah, that's my main thing I don't like about board games is is that they they're almost all non-cooperational. And so you spend all of this time and investment in something, and then at the end, it's like only one of the four to eight people who are playing actually really gets the satisfaction of having 
successfully won the experience. And then that just seems like a fundamental design flaw to me. I realize that there are people out there who are capable of enjoying a board game that they didn't win. I don't understand how that works. Yeah, those people are, I mean, I, I'm sure I've met one. I, I, I can't remember anyone in particular, but that's disgusting. The yeah, idea like, to win. That's, that's the rules. Yeah, and the worst thing is like when you start a board game, a complex board game, half an hour in, you're like, I've already made poor choices that are going to they've yeah. they've predetermined the outcome of if not the rest of the board game the rest of my life. Yeah, and that's the other <laughs> shitty thing about being introduced to board games is that whoever owns the board game has almost definitionally played it more than you, which means they already know half the strategy. So basically, the entire first like hour of commitment is just letting someone beat you at the board game, which is like, you know, why not yeah. join a fraternity at that point? You're right. It's a friendship test in, is this relationship worth the belittlement and embarrassment that I'm going to receive? Because, like, I remember once playing, uh, it was Carcassonne, a game about, oh, yes. <laughs> a, a, a real fun and interesting game about land management as a peasant. <laughs> and <laughs> when I was, the first time I played it, my fucking friend that was teaching us how to do it would do the Carcassonne equivalent of a sick wombo combo and then be like, I'm surprised not, none of you have tried that yet. I guess I didn't explain it clearly enough, but you can actually do this. And, and it's like, what? You, you, this was your intent. You were like, who are three people I want to feel better than? Yeah, My and also roommate. what... Who gets a sick satisfaction out of beating a bunch of rubes at a game that they have never touched before? Right. We'll play with a bunch of, like, drunk chimpanzees at that point. Okay. I think, that's, I think that's exactly it. I think that is exactly what it is. Like, my roommate is a big board game guy, and he, he knows all of the rules. I think it's because so he can just beat newbies that first time. I think this is how some of these people... Like, get their jollies, honestly. Oh, God. He goes back and, oh, that was good. Now, if you'll excuse me for approximately two to eight minutes, I will be right back. <laughs> so one of my board game opinions that came up, uh, not even an opinion, a straight fact, is that later in this episode, the two couples uh, are, are playing the game Jenga, and they're playing it wrong. They are they are actively playing the game of Jenga oh, incorrectly. Are, are they not stacking the tiles back on top? They are stacking them in the wrong configuration on top. So I was very excited that they were playing Jenga, but I wasn't paying attention to this. Okay, you just said two by two. So instead of doing, instead of filling up the top with the the three pieces, they're just putting like two on each end and then building two up. Oh, yeah. Well, so that not only is incorrect, but also that's a total busta move because I, as a longtime Jenga fan, do not respect anyone who does not try to build a tower of each layer, one piece, crosswise, as high as it can go. Anyone who relies on the stability of the two pieces on the side, I don't want to associate with. That's, and um, so for, for the, the Jenga thing really brought up a specific memory of mine, which is, uh, I, I, I don't know if we've really fully explored this on the podcast yet, but I'm kind of like a closet goth. Like I'm, I'm very much big into all super of, closet, all of the moody shit. But I'm closet goth, kind of like you know, uh, 
uh, a Republican is a closet gay in that if he has ever actually indulged in his gothness in his life, it has only been in like shady back rooms where no one knows his name and he never has to face the consequences of his actions. So in public, yeah, owning his light. Correct. Oh, go ahead, Charlie. I think that's one of the reasons I think you and I have been such good friends is I think we're, we're attuned in our, in our low level goth appointments. I think I think probably and but part but the the, the thing that Django really brought up for me was uh so Charlie and I are both in Missoula Montana which is a cute little crunchy yeah. sort the city of city of many shoulders we call it yeah I guess I don't know what the fuck that means but yeah uh but we have a small goth contingent that would put on these semi regular. Uh, goth industrial dances in this this basement bar. It was it was the dark dreams, you know, dances of it. And I would go there and I'd be like, "Look at all these people. Look at all these mesh shirts. I do not fit in here. I'm drawn to this, but I know that this is not me. And so what I will do is I will observe and absorb as much of this as I can. But because I myself am plagued with social anxiety, and I'm not going to talk to any of these goth babes." I'm just going to sit in the corner of the bar and play its copy of Jenga alone, <laughs> seeing how high I can get my, my stack. And if someone bothers me, I guess that's socializing. And so seeing them, I guess, apparently incorrectly playing Jenga made me think of, uh, yeah, my own my own social issues. When, you know, we're so hard on the show, but if it can touch me in a way where I realize that maybe I'm not as alone as I thought I was, isn't that good television? Yeah, I think so. Um, I definitely relate. Well, before I forget, so I related. I found that I also, like Charlie, I found this episode very relatable. Both the all the places where Amy was like, I don't know, I'm indulging in, in like social dynamics I didn't get a chance to in high school because I had no friends. I was like, I get that. And then, oh, yeah, uh, for sure. For sure, totally. <laughs> And then, you know, Raj doing his whole, like, I'm a sad, lonely person taking anti, you know, who's willing to experiment with anti-anxiety medication just to feel human connection again thing. Definitely understood that. But anyway, before I, we can talk about those later. But back to board games one more time. <laughs> New format. Okay. We were experimenting <laughs> with formats. We've, we've, we've previously acknowledged that this just isn't working. We spent one episode focusing on, uh, and I think Charlie, you know about this show too. We we watched the uh, inaugural episode of Heil Honey, I'm Home, and it didn't oh, stick. Absolutely, yeah. We I know, we I know this program. Yeah, I, I thought so. We're not. We weren't into it. Didn't stick. Although Guess the what? The best thing about it was it really put Wandavision in the context when we watched that <laughs> shockingly similar pilot episodes. Today, <laughs> today forward board game podcast. Uh, the is board it, game theory theory? Yeah. And it's funny because, you know, it's we, we go from this watching this thing that we, we really don't like and explaining it to uh, explaining another thing apparently none of us really like. So, Kyle, <laughs> give us some board game feelings. Well, it's not even – it's just the way in which you watch chess slowly evolve from this thing that – I mean, forget whether or not original chess makes – any kind of sense, but just this thing that everybody sort of who plays it knows the rules to into this new elaborate thing that uh, that requires all of these like written down rules and conventions and like people are checking and stuff like that is probably the most accurate uh, 
once again, to nerd life, it's the most accurate uh, depiction of how I think board games really, like, are created and modded over time, which is someone is playing an existing game, they're like, you know what would make this fun? If it had, like, seven or eight additional mechanics (laughs) that 90% of people aren't requesting, and how do we implement those for the sake of, like, the 10% of people, you know, who or realistically less, who will actually be so into this that they will bother to learn all these new rules and mechanics. And I actually, I mean, I know that, I'm sure that's how it works for normal board games, but as someone who has, like, looked in pretty deeply to, like, the history of Dungeons & Dragons, that is absolutely how Dungeons & Dragons came about, which is there were people playing, like, military board games. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, our good friend Gary Gygax was like, but, shit, wouldn't this be better if we added some wizards (laughs) <laughs> it's like there's got to there's got to be a way to figure out like if these two armies are fighting but each side has their own wizard which wizard wins how do i do that which is literally so like sheldon's whole conversation where uh just to get it he, like he starts he he starts by incorporating like all the rules that will allow three people to play at once but then he's like i want to add special pieces that have new powers and dynamics and just like the way in which he's like okay it was chess but now there's like a you know a poisonous snake character and an old lady character and stuff. That is exactly right. how like you like Dungeons and Dragons slowly evolved from one well, just moving a bunch of knights around on a board to oh shit now there's like a halfling rogue who's crawling through the dungeon and stabbing goblins in the back. So in earlier in my like freelance writing career, one of the things that I did was I wrote um, like flavor text and fluff for role playing games and board games. That's and- cool. It wasn't. It 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 was it was an experience that really taught me a lot about about a lot of things, including myself. But one of the, and I'm not going to say the name. Um, and I think even like unpublished, it's a, a name that I don't use anymore. But one of the uh, the big companies that I, I sold a lot of like fluff and like flavor text and shit to. Uh, the game was just basically like Vampire the Masquerade, but more needlessly complicated and. And I think that it really speaks to kind of what you're saying there, Kyle, about, like, the experimentation and someone, like, adding in the more rules. And like happens in this episode, like, the one person adding the most rules, the nerdiest of them, eventually kind of, like, pushes it over an edge to where only the most incredibly nerdy people can truly, like, enjoy it or comprehend it. Yes, but then they – but they do. They really enjoy it and they really, like, get something out of it. Like, that's my favorite scene. Like, I really love the button of this episode, which is they're just – they're really getting into their three-way chess. Can I just say about this this chessboard too? The colors of the pieces that they have are are black, white, and silver. Even though red's the more traditional third uh, chess color set. Yes, just nice. just saying. Four game opinions. You think you've added yourself, uh, outed yourself as an actual board game fan? And I'm if... not a fan. I'm just aware of it. I don't engage in it. I'm just aware of it. See, where you both are talking about the the thrill of adding complications to extant games i go on the opposite path which is keep the same game but just add superficial changes to it so you don't realize that what you're playing is boring and so when i was when i was a kid we had a a copy of battle chess and so i know all the rules to chess and i know how to play chess i'm not saying i'm good at chess but I know that the thing that got me into chess was a queen with some big titties and rooks that would eat pawns when they took them. 
It's that's all. It, it was the exact same game. There were no additional mechanics, but before you took a piece, there would be a little animation that played where one would have to destroy the other. And for instance, the rooks were not just you know they, they when they were still the the piece was of the traditional tower rook, but when they moved, they were they were golems made of brick and they would consume their opponents and that's all it took for me that shit rules yeah and and so like i don't know i i i am all about take a simple game and just slap a new coat of paint on it yeah. and if <laughs> you just uh just upgrade the graphical user interface that's all nikai needs well seriously because if the, if the game is good it's good why change the game like if the mechanics are solid oh god i sorry i'm just I don't know, but what if we gave the different characters stats, you know, so that sometimes, you know, and just added a random number generator to the encounters? Would that really be so, just so, you know, the wizard, of course, or the bishop is going to mostly lose to the rook, but shouldn't he have a shot, like, you know, one time out of six, you know, we could, we could use a die and we could roll it. I mean, they, he is basically just inventing, like, Dungeons and Dragons 4th edition. Like, his three-person chess is, is just, is just that game system. All right. Well, since we're talking about the version of Dungeons and Dragons that even I know nobody liked, <laughs> we I I feel I have an obligation to move us back onto course with talking about the show itself. <laughs> I don't know. It's you know it's weird because I, I I almost feel like it's a little bit harder to talk about this episode than a lot because it wasn't so good that I feel shocked and can like gush over it. Nor was it so bad that. There was a lot to be angry about. This was like a solid three and a half, maybe even four out of five episode for me. And so, if anything, I found moments that I, I, I found myself strangely relating to. And um, one of those is near the end of the episode, uh, Sheldon takes Raj out uh, to a coffee shop and – well, it doesn't really introduce him. It encourages him to introduce himself to this this random woman – Hanging out at the at a table on her laptop doing work, whatever, uh, and it goes well. And I I don't know if this was clear from the episode. I don't know if either of you picked up on this. I didn't pick up that Raj had obviously before going out taken his new anxiety meds, his 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 beta <laughs> blockers. And so the way the scene unfolds is he's introducing himself to his this woman, kind of chatting her up. And then he just starts taking off all of his clothes. And the joke is, ahaha, he's no longer socially anxious enough. But I, when he starts taking off his clothes, I'm like, I get this guy. That is the move. That's, if you're uncomfortable. High risk, high reward. But, yeah. You know. It's... I don't if know if works, I've been in a situation. Be it works. I legit. I'm thinking like as I'm trying to recall in the moment any situation where I've started taking off my clothes and things went downhill. It's always been rad. Like whether sex is about to happen, whether it's a prank, whether a doctor is about to find something that I really am glad to know about while I can still treat it. Anytime I'm taking my clothes off, smooth sailing. In <laughs> Let me just say that I appreciate your very your very positive perspective, but there have absolutely been parties that we were at where I had to help wrestle your clothes back onto you. So I would say that I can recall such parties, but I can't. So nonetheless, 
perfect for me. People I'm around, not crazy about it. That's their problem. I'm naked and I'm having a time. Now, I don't know if you're re- referencing multiple incidents or the one time that apparently another friend of ours had to put my pants back on while I struggled like a crying child to carry me over his shoulder and bring me home. And I woke up in the morning thinking, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm back. Everything must have turned out fine. I mean, that's great. That's, I, I don't see the problem there. Um, anyway. To your, to your point, to answer that question um, about, about the beta blockers, I had to go back and rewatch the entire episode again because I thought that I had misunderstood something because there's that point where, where Raj says, you know, I'm afraid that as a scientist, it's going to influence the way that my mind works and I'm, I'm worried about that, which I think is a, a very real and relatable fear some people have about, you know, uh, using medication to, to, to balance out uh, various things. And then he takes them... And and I feel, and I'm not saying that every show needs to have a message, but it feels to me that the message of this whole interaction was, hey, are you afraid of taking your anti-anxiety pills? Well, you if you take be. them, you'll turn into a sex criminal. Like, you, you will absolutely just, how bad will his social anxiety be now that he has this memory of him being naked in a place? Like, that that should ruin him. It, it's, <sighs> it's this, it's this anti-medication uh, platform that i just disagree with i don't he remember that's being fair. naked in a place and nothing bad happened to him i think that's support i think that's oh i guess i can get naked more often from now on well, and also the audience just loved it did you hear their cheers when his when his when the little uh so okay i'm just gonna ask this anybody else try to see if they could figure out what was you know anybody else check out his his junk when he was in his tidy whities just on, me? honestly no Ah. Uh, Damn. Well, and again, because I was so excited just that he was taking his clothes off. I didn't focus on specifics. I was like, my man. I was mostly trying to figure out if he was like wearing a, like, I would assume they make you wear a cup in these sort of situations. But uh, I didn't know. You would think. You would think. Do we all, do we have to pause, do we have to do an unprecedented, uh, unprecedented move? And pause the podcast so we can all check out Raj's zone. <laughs> I, mean, I, I have it memorized now, so I don't need to pause it. But all right. Well, well, what was his junk like, Kyle? Because you brought it up to ask us. It's clear that you're the only one that was paying attention. <laughs> Tell us all about Raj's dick. Yeah, yeah it was. It was. Not, I think he was wearing some kind of little like safety strap. Is was basically my. You know, nobody is that. Nobody is that perfectly smooth. You know, or nobody's. You know. Uh, concavity is that uh, see you were um, a little disappointed that you couldn't check out actual contours yeah I just assume I mean I was like I I wanted to see if the Big Bang Theory had balls that's basically what I wanted to figure out and it did not See, I'm I'm normally with you, Kyle. Like there are multiple times uh, I, I enjoy watching professional wrestling, and then sometimes their tights are very very tight, and you can just see like their whole dick outline and everything. And I get the I get the appeal there. Um, didn't think to look this time. Well, I don't know what's wrong with both of you, but uh, your curiosity is dead. But it's fine. Um, I've I've just never wondered about Raj's dick, like. Well, not... I haven't either until it was. I thought it was about to be right there, and then it wasn't. See that um, was too horrified by just the, the this absolute like sex crime that he was doing in the yeah, Okay, I, let's I, stop I, throwing I around the term sex crime. Hey everyone, my name's Nick Hyde. I'm a lawyer <laughs> of the law here in Montana. That's not none of that shit's technically illegal, all right? I'll tell you right now because if I remember correctly, and I'm not sure I do, I'll let my client be upset with me about that later. 
Um, I don't, I, I think, uh, for it to be a sex crime, it would actually require Raj to experience some sort of sexual gratification on his part. He, he, it can't be innocent nudity. It has to be nudity kind of at the expense of others. And Raj, so, I mean, so what you're saying it is it's a crime, but it's R- a Raj, sex crime. There was no intent there. Raj was not like, I need to make this woman uncomfortable. It was the exact opposite, was where Raj was like, God damn, I'm comfortable. Wouldn't you also like to be comfortable? Creepy. I don't think it's a crime. Anyway, well, Montana. Are you saying it's not a crime? License to practice a, law. It's not a sex crime. Just I don't think, it, I don't think it's a crime, nor a sex crime either. You're saying going full frontal in, like, Starbucks in Montana would just be totally cool. I think he'd kick you out, but I don't think, I don't know if you'd be, I mean, you could maybe be charged with disturbing the peace, which is one of my pet charges in Montana that I think is unconstitutional on its face. But yeah, I I think, I think in Montana anyway, it requires some sort of gratification. Like, just innocent nudity isn't, isn't technically illegal. I'm with you, Charlie. I did think about what that whole episode looks like from that woman's perspective, which is just yes. like, oh, she's just she's just sitting having her coffee. Oh, a dude comes up and seems totally like, uh, you know, not terrible for about five whole seconds. And then immediately your worst nightmare ensues and you have to flee the Starbucks where you were just having a good time. Like, uh, yeah, this is exactly what women are fearing all of the time. And, and this is why, because things like this happen. Yeah, she will never feel safe anywhere ever again. She, I, yeah, I felt so bad for her. And and the barista who had the one line about not having scones but having muffins, she she had to probably kind of like ask them to leave. And do you think Raj was gonna go peacefully? Do you think I mean do you think he'd be like, no what? I'm just I'm just hanging out. I was just talking to her. Like He was on beta blockers, of course he's gonna go peacefully. He can't do anything but peacefully. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, I don't. I I'm frustrated that either of you during that scene thought, "Oh, I wonder what this other person is going through." That's no way to live. <laughs> That's <laughs> I can't. I can't. I can't live. I can't tolerate that. But any, anything else about the episode? It's we we're getting near where we should transition to our nerdy thing. But I feel like we spent so much fucking time talking about board games. We did sort of, uh, I mean, Charlie sort of basically already brought it up. But Amy's plan basically works. Like, it sounded ridiculous at the beginning, which is, oh, no, she's inviting you to dinner. Obviously, the move here is you go and then we feed her, you intel, which destroys, like, the social dynamic between Priya and Leonard. And it's like, that's a crazy sociopathic thing to do, but it totally works. Yeah. No, Amy Amy should have her own show. Yeah, at the cost of Bernadette's sanity, but it so works. Bernadette should be a part of it. Oh, (laughs) and the more upset she got, the funnier it was. That was just like the other, it's just like her like, you know, like, stop asking me questions was pretty good. I knew almost none of those characters except for, I think, Penny coming into this episode and that whole opening with all of them buying shoes. I, I loved. I, I loved the power of female friendship. Uh, I, I, I was sad when it went back to the nerds and their, and their chess game. Well, it's, it's weird because, like, the way the two groups work, and I think you could say this, and I don't think this is necessarily true, but I think it is... A trope or an expectation, maybe even a societal rule, is that when the, the 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 boy nerds are all hanging out together, their relationship is largely teasing and antagonistic 
and it's unclear a lot of the times, to me anyway, why any of them actually like each other. <laughs> and then when the girls are hanging out, hopefully it would last beyond the point of them having Priya to to rally against. But it is much more supportive. They're like they they all are like, hey, you need to go get this thing, or we want you to feel good about this. And I do appreciate that. Like if if the 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 bro nerds were spending out and any one of them seemed legitimately interested in or supportive of anything ever that any of the other nerds was into, that might be more fun. But like as it is, it's yeah, Kyle and I've talked about this a few times before, but Amy came in and she was just female Sheldon. That's all she was. And yet she has wittingly or not on the writer's part, been the only character to evolve into like a fun, relatable human being. Yeah. I, I relate to her so much. Like I, I, I feel like I have the same like kooky fashion sense. I'm a little bad in social situations and I'm really bad in high heels. Like I, I relate to all of that with her, like fantastic character. Anything else we want to get into or yep, are we ready? Let's move it along. Let's move along. All right. So we talked about the episode, which means we spent, two-thirds of it talking about board games that's hey I like the new format i think it's going to really take off it's going to get to get the scores up uh thank you I, I i appreciate that and i think we'll have to stick with that's what we should do maybe maybe it should be big bang theory theory plus nerd other nerd shit we hate like tr- <laughs> you know people really seem to like when we make nerdy recommendations but i i think it's clear that i want to hate and <laughs> i like if i can find other if i can find other people to put down that's where i want to go but no we we do end every episode on some positivity and so we were going to now recommend to you dear listeners Something that each of us has actually enjoyed earnestly, and we recommend that you either enjoy the media or other experience that we're about to encourage, either instead of or in addition to the Big Bang Theory. Because you can go ahead and like the show as much as you like. I'm not going to hold it against you because I don't know you, but if we're in person, let's not talk about it. Charlie, because you are the guest, you get to choose whether you want to go first, second, or third. Let me go second. Okay, Charlie gets middle. Kyle, who's taking the lead? I got one in the chamber, but I can... Shoot! Okay, I had considered prior to today's recording whether I should transition more into recommending more music because I feel like I haven't really touched on that much and I do listen to a lot of different kinds of music and I think in the future I'm going to start trying to do more of that. But that's not what I'm doing today because I got another video game, baby. I love it. Oh, I love it. Um, and it's it's it actually I'm having a new experience with this one. So there's this. Uh, I have mentioned many times before that I'm I am a big fan of the Final Fantasy franchise of games, in spite of also believing that a good one hasn't come out in 20 years. <laughs> it's like, I'm, I'm never going to stop believing every new one that comes out. I need to try it. I need to hope that they, they can capture the magic I experienced as a child. And I'm playing a game now that I think comes close. And that's, the, the game itself is called Bravely Default 2. Oh boy, of course. It's the most generic bullshit name for a generic bullshit sub-franchise. And... I can't remember the name of the first game. It may have even just been called, like, Warriors of Light. 
but it it was a it was a spinoff. It wasn't called well, Bravely Default One. Well, there yeah, was a, there was one there was one before Bravely Default. There was one that came out on the Nintendo DS. The sequel was called Bravely Default. I think. So. Well, I no. There was Bravely Default. Then there was Bravely Second. And then there was Bravely <laughs> Default Two. Maybe that's where I'm confusing. getting confused. Yeah, I admit Bravely that that's extra. But in any case, what these games, as far as I can tell, based on my experience with the second one, and I, I, I that well, actually was the first one I was playing in not just some fever dream back in the day, is they take the experience of the more traditional, I guess you could say, Final Fantasy games, and, and they really distill it. And so you've got elemental crystals that are important to maintaining the the balance of the world. Somehow that balance has been corrupted or set askew. And so four uh, archetypical heroes have to band together to save the crystals and save the world. And normally when I go through one of these games... I, I would be engaged in the story. But these the, the Bravely Default series is so, so generic that for the first time in my life, I'm playing an RPG and I'm skipping all the cutscenes and I think I'm having a better experience for it. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not saying this as a criticism of the game. Like, if if no one has played a Final Fantasy game before, this would probably be an excellent one to start with. But as someone like who's, I hear it's really, really hard. It's oh fuck no! It's god damn it! I, I, I was, I was reading a review on Polygon that was like, oh, the bosses seem like you can only beat them with a certain configuration, and I'm like, you, you fucking little, you nerd, you noob, you little like, it's not hard. It's not hard at all. It's it's here's the thing: you will die on bosses, but you'll die once or twice, and then you'll be like, oh, that's how I beat the boss. You can grind if you're if you're dumb dumb or if you're stubborn but <laughs> or if it's, you enjoy it or if you enjoy, if you enjoy it cuz I enjoy that too that's the other thing is this game really brings back the grind if you want it and it's satisfying it's it's the game um the the, the fights against average enemies are not so mindless as to just be you know holding the attack button until the fight is over so that that is nice it's it, it's some. It's something that is. It it takes, like I, as I've already said, it the core elements of Final Fantasy distills them and refines them in a way that is. It's a. It's. I think it's great. the The reason I'm. I don't like the story though is because, I mean, I've I've heard it dozens of times at this point. Like I've been playing these games, this series of games, literally thirty years now, and they're not doing anything new with this. And so if you've never played a Final Fantasy game before, and if you want something that is old school, but has the benefit of decades of refinement, play it and enjoy the story. And if you want that and you're like me and you're, you're sick of the tired old tropes, play it, skip all the cutscenes. You're probably not missing anything. Every time I watch a cutscene, I'm like, oh, right, it's that trope. And then I move on. But I am nonetheless, I'm really enjoying it. So that's that's my and it's 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 on the Switch. It's sixty dollars now, full price. That might be a little too much. I'd wait for it to go on sale, but it's still really good. So there's my recommendation. Charlie, your turn. Uh, I'm going to recommend a graphic novel. I am currently reading My Favorite Thing Is Monsters by Emil Ferris, which just recently came out. It is 
this 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 author it's her first it's her first book that I'm aware of uh, I, I think I, I don't think she's anything before this it is a a a magnum opus it is it is an unbelievably I think moving and unique and just incredibly distinct sort of work of art that I am just sort of enjoying getting just sort of um, I guess sort of like losing myself in the world of it's a, it's a noir story about uh, a little girl who is also a werewolf and she dresses like a detective, not because she is a detective, but she, she is a werewolf, but she's doing it because her upstairs neighbor was murdered in a very realistic graphic crime. And, and she's got to figure out who it is uh, as her, her own family's kind of history kind of gets unfolded for the reader. And the whole thing is done in this almost like uh, almost like zine format where it's all printed on notebook paper, like lined notebook paper. And it's all done in ballpoint pen in this sort of incredibly detailed crosshatch um, style that is really unlike anything that I've, I've seen, you know, in a long time or recently even or, or ever in comic books. And I'm enjoying the crap out of it. Uh, it, it takes a lot of inspiration from the old, uh, like monster magazines, like uh, famous monsters of film land and, and things like that. And it's, it's just so uh, affecting. Um, one of my one of my uh, coworkers uh, at the university um, lent it to me, and I am, and I'm really digging it. And I, I want more people to read it. it. It's it's astounding. This graphic novel. Yeah, well, this what is, this what is was really, it? Really good. What was it called again? And, and where would be easiest place to find it? Uh, it's called My Favorite Thing Is Monsters by Emil Ferris, and I believe it's printed by uh, Phantasmographics publishing press who is the same one that does a lot of uh, like jason's cartooning it's i will say it is it is dense and and parts of it read like almost like a like a art history book i can't even describe just the way that this book works um, i think everyone uh, if you have any interest in in, in comics or sequential art um, or monsters in general uh check that book out oh i'm super down i really like the spiral notebook the way it looks it's like drawn like it's you know being penciled in on like a high school notebook it's really good yeah it's it's really astonishing it's uh one of the best graphic novels that i've read um in a while i'm very excited about it thank you for that charlie i wish nick's recommendations were ever that good well i I also have to correct so bravely default was the first (laughs) officially in this series it was originally intended as a sequel to the game i was thinking of on the ds called final fantasy the four heroes of light so oh. Bravely Default is the original and a spiritual sequel. <laughs> Ain't that how it always goes? Well, that's um, what I, these fucking Square games, though. They have like, you know, I was about I was about to go on a classic rant about silly names, and I'm not going to. So, Kyle, it's your turn. We'll save that for the intro to next week's episode or next uh, time's episode. So, I am going to climb out on a limb here, both because I haven't finished the thing that I'm about to recommend, which is really dangerous, Ooh. but more so just because of what it is. And I am I am sorry to drag us all into the space, but I started watching Justice League, the Snyder Cut. And <laughs> I like God, how, I like how you have to say you started watching it. Damn it. <laughs> it's a well, I watched I think like the first hour. It is no four one, hours. No one is less happy than me to report <laughs> that I think it's actually really, really good. <laughs> now, Kyle, is it is it actually in four three format? Is that yeah. I'm hearing this is oh yeah, my because that's 
Because that's what he wanted to... That's what he shot, like, a lot of Batman v Superman in. It's just most people didn't get to see it that way because, like, most theaters weren't configured for it. I saw Batman v Superman in an IMAX theater, which was not a good time... I. It was a bad time for me, but I definitely – it was in a great format ra- <laughs> aspect ratio. Zach, well, God, explain I'll, a little bit of the background because so I think non-nerds aren't yeah. as familiar. So Zack Snyder is a film director who made Man of Steel and then he made the sequel to Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, which Man of Steel was sort of – People were on the fence about it. Some people loved it. Some people hated it. Batman v Superman was almost universally reviled when it came out, uh, except by a very vocal, toxic group of people, which we'll come back to. <laughs> I don't know how they play into the movie you're about to talk about, but go on. Um, Shh, they can hear and us. So then when, uh, when Zack Snyder was making the third movie in his trilogy, which was going to be the movie that introduced the famous comic book team, the Justice League, the most, at one point in history, the most iconic superhero team in existence, but now we live in a weird weird alternate universe where maybe that's the Avengers, but that's really just a sign of how badly Warner Brothers fucked this whole thing up. But anyway... (laughs) He was going to make a Justice League movie, but there was a lot of pushback because of how Batman v Superman had been received about whether it should maybe be, you know, a a lighter movie, a more colorful movie, a movie more, in fact, like the Avengers. And Zack Snyder apparently fought back fairly hard on that. And then his, uh, his, there was a tragedy. His son died. He had to step away from the film. Um, and they brought in the director of the Avengers. Uh, boy, this tells you it was a different time. Joss Whedon was brought in to finish the Justice League, and people were <laughs> excited about it. That's that's just just to put you in a time capsule of how far we've come in such a short amount of time. People are like, oh, good. Joss Whedon is going to do the Justice League movie now. So that movie came out, and I remember seeing it in theaters, and I remember it was utterly forgettable like i don't want to make it sound like it was bad because it to be bad it would have had to have like some surface it was just like for a movie that is about superman batman wonder woman and the flash all hanging out and like stopping god like satan from taking over the world it was just like a ridiculously forgettable substanceless film in almost every way shape and form so a lot of people i'm sorry let me a very vocal minority of people (laughs) who also happen to have a lot of toxic views and who generally embrace Zack snyder's work were and who really like batman v superman were of the opinion that the reason the movie was bad is because we hadn't gotten a chance to see Zack snyder's original vision and they were constantly begging warner brothers to pay to have his vision completed and they were constantly being mocked by everyone on the internet myself included for how unrealistic that demand was i mean both because in the original form there was basically this conspiracy theory that the movie had been completed um and that they just were hiding it, and so they were begging for that. And then it turned out, oddly enough, uh, it was, of course, incomplete, but Warner Brothers, you know, finally, for whatever its own ineffable reasons, decided they were going to pay a whole bunch of money to bring Zack Snyder back, let him re-edit the footage, reshoot a lot of the footage, and complete something that is was apparently close to his original vision. Um, so that's where we are, and damn it, if it isn't, it's not just better because it would be hard not to be better, but I think it's actually good, and I can't tell you how angry that makes me. 
because so you have to acknowledge levels. that the toxic nerds were right all it, along. It's, you know, it's like if ga- it's like you know, it's like if Gamergate were like endorsing a soda brand, and then you drank it, and you're like, ah, <laughs> oh, fuck, this is Gamergate's official soda is pretty pretty good. Um, so that, that that reminds me of two separate but kind of the same jokes. One is um this Onion headline, which was a worst person you know right about one thing. <laughs> <laughs> And then the other being uh, this this comedian I, I saw him. He was just a, a rando in in L.A. and he had this joke about how uh, there, there's nothing worse than you know the worst person you know being right. And he, he had this example of like you know Donald Trump says he's never seen a skinny person drink Diet Coke, and I'm like fuck, how do you do? Yeah. So I won't get, so just to, like I said, I'm not that couple of, th- first off, the cinematography has been, has been re-aspected and re, uh, I, to be honest, I'm not enough of a film. I'm a big, pretty big film nerd, but I'm not enough of a technical nerd to totally mm-hmm. understand what's different. But when you're watching it, you notice it. You, I mean, some of it is just that like all of the scenes are spaced out longer. They just have more time. But also just the way in which you're seeing a lot of the same footage, but it just plays very on a whole different sense of scale. So, like, I got to the part where Wonder Woman shows up and saves, like, the hostages and just, like, the way in which it's intercut between slow motion and, like, normal speed so that when, like, it's moving at normal speed, she's just, like, a blur was, like, some of the best use I've seen of high-speed effects since The Matrix and, and that's then, what a lot, that's like a Zack Snyder go-to move, but he, it's well, use, that, he's using what, it correctly here. It sounds like that's what all of his go-to moves. And you're like, I guess outside of the fact that like a lot of the movies I didn't like the subject matter of, it's like his cinematography and the way he shoots action sequences has always been pretty on point. So like when Wonder Woman is like moving impossibly <laughs> fast and de- deflecting like machine gun fire away from a crowd, it's like, oh yeah. That is, like, the single best encapsulation of what, like, a superhero, like, literally moving faster than bullets would look like if you were just watching it with your, like, normal human eyes. I've never actually, like, I've seen people try to do this in a thousand movies, but it always looks shitty. But here it just looks really cool if, like, emphasizes the fact that she is freaky, that we should, like, it's a little bit scary to watch someone move faster than the speed of sound, but it's cool. And so that's all amazing. But the other thing is, and this is, I do think, where the joke is on. So, like, every Zack Snyder movie ever has been about, like, you know, basically a bunch of, like, tough, stoic dudes, like, fighting against the Horde. In, like, his first movie, the Horde was zombies. Then it was, oh, yeah. like, white white people versus the Persians, which was a whole... <laughs> That's where he picked up his favorite crowd of people. But, um... Yeah. I, I, I do think in this one, like, I don't think he's a bad guy. I just think it's, like, he's interested in that subject matter. But, um, what's really interesting about that is it's still that same theme. It's still basically... Like, people com- are going to compare the plot of this movie to the Avengers, but it's actually, I think, a more technical... It's basically the plot of Lord of the Rings. It's like, there's an ancient evil that's reawakened, and it's not so much that we have to... Like, in the Avengers, we gotta put a team together. It's like, we have to reawaken, like, the ancient com- camaraderie between all of these weird and different groups of people, you know? The Amazons must call to the Atlanteans for aid, and they must, you know, rouse the ancient pact that, you know, that slumbered in the hearts of men, you know, like Batman. And so that's a weird dynamic. 
and men it's... not like Batman. <laughs> no, but that's I mean it's a weird dynamic, but also it's like like basically what I'm saying is it works because I mean what is this stuff if not mythology, right? Modern mythology. So <laughs> like Joss Whedon was so uninterested in all of that that it was basically just like you know the quirky quip squad going on a heist together. Um, but when in this version, like it is very clear that it has like th- a thematic premise on its mind that actually cares about like like the whole idea of the justice league is like here's a group of people who are fundamentally very who represent different things like these people are not aligned in the sense that like both their gimmicks are different but they also just stand for radically different ways of looking at the world but there's you know there are things that are bigger than that and so they have to set aside for and that i think is like the great irony of it is this movie was championed by like toxic fanboys but if you actually look at what the bad guys in the movie represent they're literally like a reactionary like cosmic force from beyond the stars they're they're basically like it's like an evil god who wants to write his name across the universe and like he and his like his dark literally like no spoilers but like literally yeah i don't know if i mean it's dark i don't know if you know about dark side but the dark side is basically he and Thanos have a lot in common, except while Thanos' whole thing was always this weird, like, I want to kill everyone. Dark side's whole thing has always been, frankly, much more straightforward, which is I am I should be emperor of the universe and everyone else. No one should be allowed to have free will but me. And I'm going to ex- uh, enslave everything, which, <laughs> you know. Is I have crazy. to insert a rogue recommendation for the short-lived Twitter account Hobo Darkseid. <laughs> R.I.P. Hobo Dark Side. <laughs> but what that so that's a very that's basically he's been a very compelling villain because he's just completely unapologetic about how he's basically a cross between like the Pharaoh from the Old Testament and Space Hitler, where he's like, I'm going to conquer the universe and mm. I'm going to kill like and enslave everyone who gets in my way. I am the darkness, worship me. And it's just like, you know, it's it's scary. And so when you have that in this movie, like basically what sold me on this movie is the scene where you have like all of the Amazons fighting against the horde of dark side that has emerged in Themyscira. And it's this beautiful chase sequence that again was in the original cut. It was just so quick and truncated that you never really got to appreciate it. But what you're actually seeing is like this incredible, like this band of women through incredible determination and cooperation, just trying to buy a few more seconds to like, just buy the human race just like a little bit more time from this horde of people who literally call themselves like the great darkness, you know, and who are like daddy's coming and he's going to put everything right by, you know, returning things to the way they were, you know, before, before civilization, like the bad guys that wonder what those people that wonder woman beat up who had taken a bunch of hostages. Like it's only a line, but their whole thing is they thought Europe was better in the dark ages. Who does that sound like now? So the whole thing, thing is really like all of the bad people in the movie including like the evil space nazis are defined by the fact that they basically think that like the world only makes sense when the strong people get to crush all the weak people and so like the forces arrayed against them come to represent like this coalition of we of people who stand for like civilization which is cooperation which is different types of people you know finding common ground or in other words being in league with each other so it's silly but it's still the case that the movie actually makes the makes the goes all the way to make the argument that like 
the Justice League isn't just a team who call themselves the Justice League. They are a league of people who, like, you know, like the League of Nations. They are a group of people who represent different positive outlooks on the world who put aside their differences for the sake of justice, which in this case means working together against forces that only care about enslavement and domination and, you know, reactionaryism. And that's a fucking amazing thing for, you know, to see in like it's amazing to see someone actually pull all of those threads together in a way that you realize, you know, it's thinking about it. It just it, it sucks that it only came about, you know, because of how it came about. But you're also only an hour in. And so the next three hours of your life could could dramatically change your opinion. Like, I'm happy yeah. you're having a good time, but you. You're 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 gushing no, over the no court way. or the experience. How could, he possi- how could a director like Zack Snyder possibly fall short of my expectations at the finish line? I mean, come on. Why? Well, I, I always want Dar- I always want Zack Snyder to do well. Like I know he's like a, he's all, he's a joke, and that some of the things he does with his cinematography and we we talked about the fast slow effect, you know, are a joke. But they have worked well. And the thing is, is like for me, he came out so strong. With his Dawn of the Dead remake, which Absolutely. I I need to rewatch. I, I hear it doesn't hold up, but I loved it, loved it, loved it when it came out. And then every subsequent movie was like, oh, he doesn't really know what he's doing. <laughs> and- <laughs> so I guess what I'll say, I I don't know if they gave him more time or, but it really does feel like he knows what he's doing in this one. Okay, yeah, and I, like I want him to do well. Like if it's yeah. I I really I loved his like I said that his 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 breakout hit. And 300 I liked. I just didn't understand how much more other people liked it. And then yeah. by the time he got to... Uh... Watchmen? No, Watchmen I was already... God, fucking... Oh, oh. Yeah. Let's yeah. format change. We're talking about Watchmen now. You know, um, what was the goddamn... The, the ladies... Oh, Sucker Punch. Sucker Punch. Sucker Punch. Yeah, Sucker uh, Punch is where most people I think could agree he lost the thread. Yeah. yeah. I like Much like the episode we watched today... Uh, a lot of female friendship in that movie. A lot of a lot of clear, strong women empowering women by blowing up robots with machetes. I think. Yeah, that definitely happens. And and John Hamm as the Deus Ex uh, lobotomist. <laughs> well, and isn't Oscar Isaac like the crazy asylum rapist guy in the like the actual bad guy in that movie? I saw the movie once and it ruined my whole month. So I don't, <laughs> I don't remember. Did did he write that one too? Is that yes. maybe, is that why it's so bizarre? Is that we're like he didn't say, yeah he didn't you're so good with the it. pictures part. What are your ideas like? And everyone's like shit 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 shit. Put it back. Put it back. <laughs> he didn't so much write it as basically like unspool like the heavy metal music video he wanted to make when he was twelve into a feature film. But yeah, yes. Zach Snyder had a bunch of, of spiral bound notebooks with his own sketch drawings in it of of of, of cyborg Nazis being destroyed by Tyrannosaurus. <laughs> Uh, fighter jets no i mean he was very uh, he was very honest about sucker punch he's like yeah i always you know i had always had this vision in my head of like a girl in a miniskirt with a katana like cutting off the heads of robots and it was like well we've all felt that way zach but you're the only one who made a movie out of it i have lots of images like that in my mind i don't put them in movies unless i'm being paid lots of money and my name is not on it like this is there are things in our lives that we don't make movies about. Every person knows where that line is. Zack well, Snyder apparently doesn't. I, I think it's fine, honestly, because, like, here's the thing. That shit, when you're saying it the way we've been saying it for the last five or so minutes, is all awesome. 
or like what is some 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 babe some some babe with a sword and i can almost see her butt cheeks while she's murdering things that in slow motion it's slow motion her hair is moving at regular speed and yet the frills of her skirt are in slow motion so i could see the curvature of her butt cheek and i can understand it better as the straight angular um I, the, the 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 frills of the skirt slowly like waves on a vast ocean crest and fall over over her soft bottom all of that rules and yet when he commits it to a movie it's like what the fuck is this <laughs> like this is that was what we were just talking about was great this though this this doesn't feel like what we were talking about like it's all and that's the problem with the watchman too right it's like Everything that's supposed to be there is there. You literally copied the comic book and yet you fucked it up somehow. Like this, this awesome idea. How did you do it wrong? (laughs) I think, I think the large thing about Zack Snyder, um, my general feelings is that he can create a lot of cool visual imagery without really understanding the larger context of the emotional core of what needs to be happening behind it. Like Watchmen's, I think is a great example where the, you know, the original work is, very deconstructive of, of a certain like type of superhero or, or sort of of, of um, certain tropes are very popular. But then the movie glorifies all of those things that the, the comic was sort of subverting. So it sort of takes yeah. sort of the canon and sort of turns it around and fires it uh, at, at, at the own ship. See, I think that's a fair criticism of, oh, my God, this is becoming a different – like this is going on. Yeah, yeah, this, is, this, is where, this is where the show is supposed to end and now we're like, let's have some fucking real nerd talk. <laughs> no, but- <laughs> I, I agree that's a great critique of Watchmen insofar as, like, Warshak, who you're supposed to not root for, is really easy to root for. And Ozymandias, you know, is cool, even though he's not supposed to be cool. Well, but, and, um, like, Dr. Manhattan's powers are like, oh, I can make blow people up, that rules, and not, this is the most terrifying being that's ever lived. Yeah, that, and <laughs> what is like to be this terrifying being? But right. actually, I thought, like... I, I agree with all of that, but I, that's actually – I like when I was watching Batman v Superman, which definitely has some weird moments in it that are – that I mean just don't make sense. Most – any time Lex Luthor is on screen, I'm like, I don't like this. But, um, but I will say that I thought the movie was thematically very coherent. It was just nihilistic. So like that was a film – it was basically the opposite of what you were describing, which is the thing I hated and gave me such a bad time about Batman v Superman was – the movie seemed to understand very well, like what these characters were supposed to represent. And it was just like, Oh, but you're wrong to see them this way because what they actually are, are like monsters, like Superman's an alien monster who only cares about Lois Lane because she's the one he's having sex with. And he cares about his mother and he would murder all the rest of us in a second. If anything happened to either one of them, because they're the only things that keep him grounded. And Batman is a rage fueled myopic, like, borderline serial killer who's who's barely keeping his ego who's barely keeping his murderous impulses in check by gunning after the worst people in society otherwise he'd be like out there like knifing randos and it was like that was a very effective and compelling vision of those two versions of those people that he presented it was just like this isn't how i want to see them so one of the things just to bring it back around that i really like about justice league is batman's just like you know, I was wrong. Like, it's not even that he doesn't acknowledge it. He was just like, you know, it's basically, it's like, it's this whole movie, and maybe this sort of makes sense, although I don't want to, uh, I don't want to read too much into it, but basically it starts out with 
a version of Batman that feels like he went to therapy after the events of Batman v Superman. And I wonder if that's what really <laughs> happened with Zack Snyder. He's, he's just like, you know, I started out having one thing to say about these characters, but I've changed my mind a little bit about them. Because when Batman's like, you know, I work really hard to prove that we could never be friends and we could never stand for anything. And I think that was a mistake when Ben Affleck actually says that. I believe him. I believe Ben hmm. Fleck. All right. So... This this feels like a more or less natural good time to cut off on a moment of of hope that that maybe people like Zack Snyder can <laughs> re-examine their own interests and perceptions of these heroes and and bring something back to the world that we can actually enjoy. I'm never watching this movie. That's four hours. That's ridiculous. <laughs> but I've and I never I'm, watched the Joss Whedon one. I'm probably not going to watch this one. I'm, that, I, was, that was, you missed nothing on that first verse. Well, and it's, it's, it's encouraging to hear that it is better, though. And you're not the first person I've heard to say that it's better, but this is the most I've heard about it. And uh, that is nice. So I, I hope this leads to a good turn, you know, for, for Zack Snyder. And maybe for DC in general? Because... <laughs> like, like, you know, I never thought I would land here, but if the only thing that comes out of this is that we all realize that whatever his kinks, you know, Zack Snyder is probably a better filmmaker and a better person than Joss Whedon, you know, maybe that's just like actual order being restored to the universe, as weird as that sounds. <laughs>